You're listening to the Absolute Formby podcast. In this podcast, we explore all aspects of Formby, nature, social and natural history, wildlife, poems, music, all aspects of Formby. We'll be speaking to the experts. This is the Absolute Formby podcast. Hi, I'm Mr. Williams. I'm a physics teacher at Formby High School. And Formby High School, we teach GCSE astronomy, which I've been delivering for about 10 years now. So if you look at, uh, like north, you've got the, the pole star Polaris which is is pretty much um you know directly north 89 point something degrees and then looking north all the stars in a 24-hour period will pretty much do 360 degrees around polaris so if you if you watch the stars you know for, for 24 hours if you could then you'd see them make pretty much a full circle um but if you look south then you'll see them um, do similar to what the sun does. They'll rise in the east and, and set in the west. And it would be the, so the if, other way around um, if, you were, if you were in the southern hemisphere. So if I'm standing in my garden yeah. and I look north, mm -hmm. and I do I see Polaris all year round? Yeah. So um, you, you'll... You'll, Polaris will never go out of sight, yeah, um, and as will, you know, the, the Big Dipper, um, the plough? Yes. So that's the best way to find yes. Polaris. If you, um, if you, so Polaris will circle around, sorry, um, the, the Big Dipper will circle around Polaris in a 24-hour period. So the Big Dipper could be above it, it could be to the left, to the right, below it. Um, but if you follow it, if you start at the, um, at the handle of the Big Dipper, and then you follow all the way through. So the last two stars, which is the, the, the right-hand side of the pan, if, if you follow them up, so from the second to last star to the last star, and then carry on along that line, it will point you towards Polaris. And it'll be pretty obvious from that. And you'll be able to, um, to find what is, you know, one of the brightest stars in the night sky. So the North Star or the Pole Star. Um, it's just because it's, it's kind of directly above the axis of rotation of the Earth. So if you imagine, um, you know, we're spinning around and, and that's the only point that stays fixed. Everything else moves during the night, but Polaris stays exactly where it is. So could you describe Formby or England at the top of the world? Well, the Northern Hemisphere, you know, has a certain um, set of stars that you don't get to see in the Southern Hemisphere. The Southern Hem I mean, the Northern Hemisphere is thought of as as, as a, a more interesting sky by a lot of people. But the Southern Hemisphere is, is famous for the Southern Cross, which is on the, um, on the flag, New Zealand and Australia. And it's got um, the large and small Magellanic Clouds, which we can't see. So they're two dwarf galaxies, which uh, are, are very close to us, which we can't see from the Northern Hemisphere. Um, and then you've got um, certain constellations, which we can see and, and uh, you know, the, they, they're there all the time, but because it takes a 24-hour period to rotate round, there's, well, there's a slight shift in, in that. So it's 23 hours, 56 minutes for it to do its full circle. 
So every night, if you went out at midnight and then wanted to see the same star, it would be just like one degree further in a different position than it was the night before. So if you wait six months, it's it's gone 180 degrees the other way. So some stars are up, you know, for, for example, Orion, which is, you know, um, really, you know, the second most obvious one to see, you get Orion's belt. That's a winter constellation. So at the moment, it's it's above the horizon at night, but then um, in the summer, it's above the horizon in the day, so we don't get to see it. And so can you describe Orion to what would, where would I look in the sky and, and what would I be looking for? Orion's belt is, is three stars, which are, you know, incredibly bright. It's really obvious to see. So um, I think from around now, from around um, October or November, you can see it for a, a few months, normally through the winter. And um, Orion's a great way to find your way around the sky as well. So like you could use the Big Dipper to find Polaris. Um, you can use Orion to find uh, a number of other stars. So if you were, if you, Orion's the hunter. So essentially you've got three stars and then above it, you've got top left, top right, which is kind of the hunter's shoulders and then bottom left and bottom right, which are, you know, the legs or the knees of the hunter. So as you look at it, the top left is a star called Betelgeuse. So if you look, your eyes are better at times if you look slightly away from the star, averted vision. So just slightly to the side and you'll be able to pick up the colour. So it's an obvious orangey red glow. And that's a, a very famous red giant, which is going to go, um, well, it's going to go supernova at any point. So it could happen today. It could happen in a million years, you know, but it's close to going. Um, that's close in astronomy terms, I suppose. So that, that's a fun thing to look at. Um and, and that would be like a, a second sun in the sky for a while, for a few weeks, I think. Um, but then if you follow the belt up, so from the from the left-hand side of the belt, follow it up to the right, that will point you towards a really bright star in the night sky, which is Aldebaran. And then if you carry on along that line, you'll come across the Pleiades. And the Pleiades uh, is, a, is a cluster of stars, which is a famous for amateur astronomers, you know, take, taking images of um, beautiful they're called the Seven Sisters, beautiful blue cluster. Um, and then if you follow it down to the left, you'll find uh, the dog star, which is Sirius, which is the brightest star in the night sky, um, typically when it can be seen as well. So, um, yeah, you can you can start to find your way around the sky using Orion. And, and can you see um, Sirius at the moment? Yeah, yeah, you'd be able to see Sirius at the moment, yeah, but not always. You see, stars are, the further you go from polaris the the if you imagine you know looking at polaris polaris is 55 degrees above the horizon because we're at 55 degrees latitude that's how it works so if you if you were on the north pole the pole star would be directly above you at what we call your zenith so 90 degrees above you so as you if you were 80 degrees um latitude um polaris would be 80 degrees above you so it just matches the latitude that you're at so imagine looking 55 degrees up in the sky, straight at Polaris, and then just the the, the stars would, you know, you might have seen um, the long exposure photography where you see the star trails. So the stars will make a circle around Polaris. So the closer it is to Polaris, the smaller the circle. And then as you go further south from Polaris, they'll make a circle that goes to the east, to the north, to the west. And then as you go further from it, the circles get bigger and bigger, and eventually they'll dip below the horizon. 
So stars that are close enough within 55 degrees of Polaris will never dip below the horizon for us. So it doesn't matter whether they're the highest point in the day or the night, we'll always be able to see them. But stars further from Polaris than that will at some point in their 24 hour period dip below the horizon. So you know it'll move gradually where it is month by month. So Orion is quite far from um, from Polaris, so you wouldn't you wouldn't be see, looking north, but you'd you know see it in the east or the west or south. So at the moment we can see Orion. Yeah, can't we, we can. Yeah, and and we can see Mars as well. Yeah, can't we? um, the I mean the planets are well, planet means wanderer. So they used to see all the stars do their little rotation every night, you know, so um, looking north or looking south, as I've said. But the the planets would roam around the sky in what seemed an unpredictable pattern. And and it was a it was a long time till they um, described exactly what was causing it, especially when the when we had the um, the Earth at the center of the solar system for a couple of thousand years. It was really hard to explain why they, they wandered around. But um as it turns out, because we're orbiting the sun and the, they're orbiting the sun, if you think of two two racetracks, you know, Mars being slightly wider than ours, um, there'll come a time when when we lap Mars or Mars kind of, um, you know, get, gets taken over by us. And that's when it appears to go back a bit and then forwards a bit. And the other factor which relates to Mars is is the idea that there's no no such thing as a circular orbit. So all orbits are slightly elliptical which means sometimes we're slightly closer to the sun and sometimes we're slightly further away. But also, if you think of, of the classic kind of textbook image of all the planets in a line, that never really happens. So there are times when Mars and Earth are very close to each other, but there's a time when we're on one side of the sun and Mars is on the other side of the sun. So I think it was last month when Mars was about as close as it gets. And it's somewhere between a year and two years between it being at that point again. So it's it's pretty big in the night sky at the moment, so it, it, it's it's significantly brighter than it would normally be. And and it's red. It's red. Yeah, it is a red planet, and it's um, it, it, it it's it's noticeably red. Yeah, um, and it's a great time to see it. You know, if you wait a couple of months, it will be getting smaller and dimmer as we go. Venus is the brightest planet in the night sky, and it's brighter than Sirius. You know, it's significantly the the brightest thing that you'll see. Um, but the thing about the two what we call inferior planets, which are um, Venus and Mercury, they have phases like the moon does, which um, people often don't realize that, I think. So um, if you can think of the model of, of the uh, Venus going around the sun, there are times when, you know, the sun is at one point and then in between us and the sun is Venus. And, and the sun, of course, is the light source. So the side that's getting all the sun is facing the sun and, and not us. We see the dark side of Venus at that point. So that would that would be like a what we'd call a new moon. You know, that'd be like a new Venus, I suppose. Um, so it wouldn't be a, even though it's at its closest point, it wouldn't be a good time to view it. So we, we tend to wait till Venus is at a point of um, greatest elongation, which is the point where it's the it appears furthest from the sun in the night sky. So it's the same for Mercury and Venus. But yeah, if you see that model of, of, you know, basically, if we look towards the sun, that's about where Venus or Mercury is going to be because it's always going around the sun. Mars can be 180 degrees from the sun, as can the, you know, the, the, the superior planets, the ones um, uh, further out than us from the sun. So, so 
it's um it's not you know it's it's always going to be fairly close to the sun they call it the evening star so it's you're never going to see it smack bang in the middle of the night so it's it's normally visible ideally you know a few hours before um sunset and uh sorry after sunset or before sunrise but never in the dead of the night so it's a bit of a you know you've got to pick your times to to see the planets so if I'm looking to see Venus, it's generally, for in Formby, it's generally to the west sky. Yeah, well, I mean, yes. because Venus is, is close to the, um, to the you know, the sun at all times, if you want to try and find Venus in the morning, it's going to be um, close, it's going to be in the east. And if you want to find Venus in the evening, it's going to be in the west. So basically, either where the sun's about to rise or where the sun's just set, it'll be close by. Because it's an inferior planet, um, if you imagine, you know, imagine looking down at the solar system. So you, you, you know, put a um, put a, little, a tiny little sphere on a table, and then you'd you'd make these circles around it. And then where you make the Earth, the only place to look for the stars for those planets, sorry, is towards the sun. And sometimes, if if you're at, um, if we put it like a clock, and if we're at six o'clock and Venus is at three o'clock. That's about, you know, the best time to see it because it's furthest from the sun. But if we're at six o'clock and Venus is at its six o'clock, then not only is it are we only seeing the dark side, you know, it, it's 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 just no good for us. Um, we know that even though that's when it's at its closest, but it would be right by the sun. So we wouldn't see it anyway because the sun, you know, would, would make it too bright. And we can see the plough all year round. We can. And that's because it's not too far away from Polaris. So, um, yeah, it, it will just so at times um, the plough will be below Polaris. So it will be below 55 degrees. Um, and there's other times when it will be above um, Polaris. So uh, above 55 degrees. Polaris is part of Ursa Major, which is the Great Bear. There's a lot more to Ursa Major than um, than the typical stars you see. So Polaris, you've got the handle and then it you know turns into the pan. Um, and then it would carry on to if we, if we take the uh, the left hand side the handle as kind of the tail of the bear, and then after the pan it carries on to the right to a point which is the head of the bear, and then it, it it comes down and you've got two back legs essentially, and then there's a front leg that splits in two. Um, it's um, it's a nice one to look at um, the plow because if you um, follow the handle the handle goes straight up to the left and then it it it, it up diagonally to the left and then tails off straight to the left but if you go to that diagonal bit it's actually two stars which you think is one um and you only need a slight bit of magnification to be able to see that that's that what looks like a single star as a double star now they're not actually close to each other but on the line of sight they will appear close so that's a nice thing to just you know try out with the binoculars in terms of um, what you know, what to look out for, um, you, you've got the things that are you know dynamic, the things that are moving around, and then and the things where you have to kind of check the time and date that they'll be visible. And at times, you know, especially when you get a comet and and things, you know, you, you need to know whereabouts to look for in the night sky. So the important thing there is is knowing your way around the night sky. Um, but then the typical things that you know amateur astronomers are gonna are gonna go straight to. Is, is the planets or the moon. I mean, the moon is by far the most popular thing to look at, I would think, um, which is just, you know, just with a slight bit of magnification, it is stunning. Um, you, you, the, the, you know, people will, I often get asked what's the best 
telescope to get? And, um, the, you know, the classic answer is, you know, the one you're going to use. But people spend an awful lot of money getting this amazing magnification. And typically, um, if, if you just go after the magnification, it's um, you're just going to get a bit of a, a fuzzy image. But just, you know, the, the cheapest pair of binoculars and, and just a, a looking at the moon, it is, it is a stunning thing to see, particularly if it's, um, if it's not a full moon. So as the, they call it the terminator line, the line between the light and the dark. So as the, um, as, as you look towards the terminator line, where um, you, you'll start to see longer shadows and you can see the detail in the craters and the mountain range and things. So it's a, it's an amazing thing to look at. It's surprisingly bright, you know, some people wear sunglasses or you can, you can get a little filter so, so it doesn't um, harm your eyes looking at it for too long. But just, just the first time you see the moon is unforgettable, I think. And the best time to look at the moon is when it's not a full moon. Well, it's incredibly bright and everything is so well lit, you, you lose a bit of the contrast on the moon. Um, so you wouldn't, the, the craters wouldn't have any shadowing. The mountain range wouldn't really have any noticeable shadowing. So, um, yeah, so um, a gibbous moon or essentially any time where if you want to look at a particular feature on the moon, the closer the the line between light and dark gets to that feature, the more interesting it will be because this, you know, if you were standing on the moon at that point, the sun would be lower in the sky. So you'd see shadows and you, you can tell heights and differences there, but essentially on a full moon, it, it's like, you know, the sun's directly above it. So um, it's just all lit and there's not much contrast there. Magnifies, I mean, don't get hung up on magnification because um, it's, um, the, the best telescopes are, uh, are the ones that capture the most light and, and you can worry about the ma magnification later on. But um, if, if you were to look in incredible detail, you know, yeah, right close to that line, it, it's a really interesting place to look. But, you know, it doesn't have to be right on the line, but you'll you'll have a noticeable difference um, in, in how the features look as the moon goes through its phases. Um, all the way through from, I mean, it, it kind of, it comes from, from the right. So from a, from a new moon where it's completely dark, you'll, the next day you'll see a slither of light on the right-hand side all the way through to the full moon. And then after the full moon, you'll see a slither of darkness on the right-hand side and then it'll go all, all the way through. So if there's darkness on the right-hand side, then you know the moon's getting smaller and it's waning. And if there's um, light on the right-hand side, you know it's getting bigger and waxing. So waxing yeah. is getting bigger. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so um, it goes from a crescent to a half moon to a... Uh, uh, you know. Um, um, a uh, a waxing gibbous, and then you get the full moon. Yeah, like, so you have a crescent, said. and the, you know, imagine it's slightly getting bigger. So you have the classic crescent shape. Um, which so if it start with a new moon, and then the the curve of light on the right hand side that would appear, so that that's getting bigger. So that's your waxing crescent, and then when that reaches halfway, that's your half moon, and then as it gets between halfway and a full moon, that's a gibbous moon. So that'll be a waxing gibbous. And then you get the full moon and then you go into the waning side. So the slither of darkness appears on the right. So that'll be a waning gibbous. And then you get the waning half moon and then the waning crescent. And then you get your new moon. And the moon obviously has an awful lot to do with the tides. And we've just had spring yeah. tides, which are very, mm -hmm. very high tides. Why do we get high tides then? Is, do we get a high tide when there's a full moon? It's something to do with gravity. Well, it is all to do with gravity. Um, but people forget the, the role of the sun in the, uh, in the tides. So the, the, you know, the Earth spins uh, uh, around 24 hours. So 
um, there'll be a time when the moon is at one side and then six hours later, that would go from being a high tide to a low tide. Another six hours later, you have your high tide again. Another six hours later, you, you have your, your low tide. So essentially, when, you're, when your point on the Earth is closest to the moon, you're at high tide. And when it's on the complete other side of the moon, you get your high tide as well. So it's to do with the way that the moon's gravity bulges the water. So that's your typical high tide and low tide. But then you have the sun, which plays a part in it as well. So if you have the sun on the same side as the moon, then you've not only got the moon pulling at the water, but you've also got the sun pulling at the water. So it'll really move it around. So you get your bigger bulges, which is your spring tide. So that's the moon and the sun working you know, to gravitationally together. But then if the moon works against the sun, so if there, there are other sides, then the sun will cancel out some of the moon's gravity and you'll have what they call a neap tide, which is much less noticeable than even your normal high and low tides. Shooting stars? Shooting stars, yeah. Um, essentially, any debris that comes through the Earth's atmosphere. So you can get that at any time. Um, in Formby, it's, you know, the, the skies aren't terrible, but it's not what we'd call a dark sky. Um so there's dark sky areas that you can go to and uh, where, you know, there's much less light pollution. Um, it, if you go to a real dark sky area, you, you don't you just lie on your back and you don't have to lie there very long and you'll see little flashes of light coming through the atmosphere. So it's just any bit of debris that comes to the atmosphere, burns up, gives off heat and light and you can see it as little flashes. So it's, um, you know, very common happening all the time, but with a bit of light pollution, not that easy to see. So if, if we saw one in Formby, it would probably be a bit a bit larger, um, which is different to and often uh, mixed up with meteor showers. So meteor showers are predictable. They happen at the same time every year. So, you know, you, and, and the, the name is based on the constellation that you have to look to to see them. And they are essentially leftover debris from a comet that the Earth, you know, on its trip around the sun goes through the X path of a comet um, and it comes through the atmosphere same time every year. So they, they can be spectacular. So you've got lots and lots of things coming through from the same point in the sky. Um, and yeah, they'll, they'll be great to watch. Some are incredibly bright, but you, you know, a little calendar and the, the, there's something every month, but some are much brighter than others. Here we go. So January's got a, got a great one. Um, let me go through here. So, 3rd, 4th of January is the Quadrantids, which you get the um, little, little blue meteors with the trails. Um, and and you, they'll, they'll tend to rate it on the, um, you know, the amount of, you might see per hour. So there's a few that you get over 100. Um, there's the Geminids and the Perseids are, you know, are quite, quite well known. Um, so the Geminids is in, is in December. So somewhere between the 4th and 17th of December. Um, yeah, so you need to look towards, you know, the constellation Gemini and then just, you know, go out of a night, keep an eye on the news and see, see how it's how it's doing. And then um, and then, yeah, you'll see, you, you know, you'll see a few flashes every every hour, hopefully, you know, and some people take the, um, you know, take a camera out and leave long exposure for an hour. And then you really do see how stunning it was. Um but yeah, some some are weak, some some are you know are great. But um, throughout the year, it's the same ones, same time every year. 
And if I'm looking towards Gemini, where am I looking in for me? Am I looking west, east? Gemini. Now, now you're asking. Um, Gemini is, well, see, the, the night sky is split into just as, you know, the um, the UK is split by counties. The sky is split into constellations, and there's 88 of those. And um, there's something called an ecliptic line. So as we look at the sun um, from Earth, you look along that line, and um, you know, you, so you can imagine all the planets are actually along the same line. So if, if you if you picture the solar system in the old textbook where they're all in a line, and while they're not always aligned in that way they are kind of on the same plane. So if you put, you know, the planets, you know, little model planets out on the grass, you wouldn't have to put any above the sun or below the sun. They'd all be kind of on the grass somewhere. Um, so that ecliptic line, as we look at it, so if you look through past the sun, you're on the ecliptic line. Uh, so as we go throughout the year, between, you know, looking at the sun, behind it will be a certain patch of the sky, uh, so as the as we go around the sun, the, looking through the sun, there'll be twelve different patches of the sky behind the sun. Now they're the constellations. That's obviously what astrology is based on, um, which we don't really mention. But um, so the, and Gemini is one of those constellations. So, uh, but exactly where to find Gemini? The be I don't know that off by heart, but the best place to um, to find that out is a little free program called Stellarium. And Stellarium is unbelievable. You know, it's it's. Uh, you can download the app. You can uh, you can use it. But um, you just type in what you want to look for, and you you can set your location as Formby if you want, and it shows you exactly where to look um, and how to find it in the sky. And then you can use the pointer stars to uh, to find your way around it. But no, I wouldn't know the. I, I'm not not knowledgeable enough to know the location of all the constellations. Uh, sadly, at any one time. So if we're in the sort of if we're outside yeah. in December um, from the 4th to the 17th, would we just generally just look up into the sky and we might see a meteor? Yeah, well, shower? yeah, I mean, if you um, if you do see a, a meteor shower, um, sorry, if you see a meteor coming through a flash of light, then that's where it's, it's going to be coming from. So it would um, it would be the same kind of point each time. Um, so once you found it. Then you just need to, um, you know, keep your uh, keep your gaze on there, and then you'll be able to see them coming through gradually. Sometimes people go out and they say, "Oh, it was amazing last night." So you know, it was, um, you know, we saw loads. Um, but other times they, uh, you know, they'll come in and say, "Oh, it was a bit disappointing." Um, so yeah, finding um, finding Gemini would would wouldn't take much time at all if you do your research and then you just kind of get a deck chair um have a look at it and and give it half an hour or so and see if you see anything yeah well i mean you, you, we talk about astronomy and um cosmology i suppose so astronomy i mean if you look at the um the history of astronomy it was um it was trying to understand the stars but um when it when it started it was um it wasn't understood the idea of deep space so originally it was just about understanding these these points of light in the sky and um, trying to figure out about their movement and that's why the planets stood out because they didn't follow the path of the other stars um so it's it's got bigger and bigger as as we understood you know that we um the the idea of our galaxy and, and then there being other galaxies outside of our galaxy um it's turned into just the, the study of, of of space as a whole 
and then cosmology deals with the you know the 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 bigger questions the how did the universe begin how's it going to end um but yeah as we've looked further out with astronomy it's gone from just trying to understand the movement of the stars and um predicting the seasons all the way to understanding the things at the very edge of our universe and, and black holes and quasars and all of the mysterious objects that we're desperate to find out about can you see the yeah seven so sisters seven sisters of the pleiades so the pleiades is a, is a famous cluster and the best way to find that is using orion so if you find orion's belt which is is really you know it's three stars um in a line it's easy to find um as we mentioned only between like around now and um february or so um and then follow it up to the right and you will go past a really bright star which is Aldebaran, and then carry on going, and then you'll find the, the Pleiades there. It will be a slightly hazy blue thing, but a bit of, a slight bit of magnification, and it's a beautiful thing to look at. Many astronomers say it's their favourite thing to look at. Were, I remember, I'll never forget the first time I looked up at a truly dark sky, and I'd never seen anything like it. It was just unbelievable, you know, the amount of stars you can see. People use Pegasus. There's a, there's a square of Pegasus which, you know, isn't the easiest thing to find. You have to know your way around the sky. But um, if you find Pegasus, um, you can count the stars that are visible inside of, of the square. And, you know, that, that's a good way to rate how good the, um, the viewing is for, the, for that night. And um, from the square of Pegasus as well, it's an easy way to find um, Andromeda Galaxy, which is the only thing you can see with the naked eye that's outside of our own galaxy. And that's yeah. a completely separate so, galaxy. So um, we are in a cluster of galaxies and um, 30, 40 or so galaxies. And, and the Milky Way is a pretty major galaxy in that in that group of galaxies. Um, and there's another couple of galaxies um, which are big, um, Andromeda, and then you've got the Triangulum Galaxy as well. And um, Andromeda is, um, is a stunning, beautiful thing to look at. Um, but yeah, it's 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 amazing that you can see it with the naked eye, and it, every single thing you can see in the in the night sky with the naked eye is is close to us, pretty much, except for Andromeda, which is a huge distance away. And if you you know if you imagine our galaxy, and then in between us and Andromeda, there's there's not a lot, you know, there's pretty much nothing going on there. Um, so yeah, it's it's a, a kind of profound thing to look at. But if you're in another galaxy, you've got your own sun in the Well, a, a galaxy is a group of stars. So our galaxy, the Milky Way, has about 200 billion stars. And we are on a planet which is orbiting one of those stars. So in the Andromeda galaxy, there would be, you know, at least 100 billion stars, I think. And, and they might all have planets, you know, they might all have 10 planets um, or maybe just some of them would have planets. But yeah, so um, if, if you think about our galaxy being 200 billion stars and then if we if we had a rough number averaged it out at about 10 planets going around each star, then you're, you're, you're already at two trillion um, planets in our galaxy and, and the human race has not been to any of them. So we've sent a probe to Mars, um, but other than that, you know, so we've not really explored anything. It's, it's huge out there. And then, you know, if you look at the amount of stars in our galaxy, if we're being very rough, you can think of, you know, a similar number of, of galaxies as there are stars in our own galaxy out there. So um, there's a huge, huge kind of universe out there that we know very little about in terms of um, having visited it. 
Wow. Wow, wow, wow. You see, Venus, uh, Venus is our closest planet, but the, it's it's like um it's it's kind of a hellish atmosphere with um you know um dramatic uh, weather patterns and uh, sulfuric acid and so if we just send a probe into Venus it's hard to get the information out. We certainly couldn't land anything on Venus. It's just too hostile. So we we've, we've kind of done um x-rays of, uh, of Venus trying to learn about it but our, our closest planet that's you know that's we're able to land things on is Mars so so that's where we've tended to go but as we say Mars used to have an atmosphere and it doesn't really anymore and Mars is only slightly smaller than the earth but because it's smaller it's cooled down quicker you know all planets are hot and they're in in the middle of space which is cold so it's just the law of thermodynamics that they're going to cool down Mars has cooled down to a point where it's lost its outer core, which was molten iron, has solidified. So it's because of that, it's got no moving iron inside it, which meant it's lost its magnetic field, which means that your magnetic field, you see, protects you from, from all the blasts of the particles from the sun. So if you lose your magnetic field, you, you can lose your atmosphere, which is what happened to Mars. So Mars, you know, is a hostile planet now, but, you know, millions of years ago, it may well have been very different. So we still haven't answered the question whether there may, you know, there may not be life on Mars now, but maybe there was life on Mars one day. Maybe there's life everywhere where it can exist. Maybe there's life nowhere else in the universe. You know, we, we just haven't got a clue. Way... So, have I covered everything? You've, uh, you've, you've, you've a great question. So now we know where we're looking for Orion's belt and what we're looking for. We know about Polaris and we know about Ursa Minor and Ursa Major. Join us again. Absolute Formby is an independent production. Find us on Instagram, Absolute Formby. For podcast, ask for Formby's Absolute Formby. See you soon. <laughs>